G.K. Chesterton is a Christian apologist. Those are big fancy words, but basically he defends the faith of Christianity. And he says this, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. I know there's some, uh, some big words and big concepts in there, so I'm going to read it again. The Christian ideal, uh, that is following Jesus, has not been tried and found to have lack, found wanting. It has been found difficult, and therefore it's been left untried. As we enter into this year, uh, this is not just a New Year's message, but actually it's a, it's a season message. God works with seasons. And so uh, I want to encourage us, I want to ask us this question of who in 2023 are you going to follow? Uh, we have uh, uh, a myriad of social media apps that are all begging for us to follow people, follow others, possibly even take some of our life formation over uh, and through what, who we follow and what we see. Uh, and Jesus is just one of the people that invites us to follow him. And we have a decision to make as to who we're going to follow and who we're going to allow to be the loudest voice and which values we're going to uh, allow to shape how we behave. I wonder what you think the Christian ideal is, why you may possibly sitting in this room for those that have made a decision to follow Jesus. Uh, what is your goal of Christianity? Uh, possibly it's to get to heaven. Uh, possibly it's to have the help of the Holy Spirit to make this life a little bit easier. But can I call us to something greater that uh, when God created humanity, He created us to be in perfect relationship with Him and with each other and with creation. And we know that uh, we fundamentally and eternally, well not eternally, but while life on earth, we blew it. Uh, and as sin has come in and distorted and broken our humanity and broken us and distorted who we are, uh, God has been working since that day to restore us to what it means to be fully human in perfect relationship with him and with each other. And so the Christian ideal is more than just being saved and making it to heaven. It's more than just having the power of the Spirit of God in this life. But may I suggest that actually as we enter into this, following Jesus shows us what it means to be fully human. We are taught in the scriptures that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he came to not just be our savior, but he also came to be our model. He came to be the one to show us what it is to be fully us. That is the invitation that I want to give to us today. But uh, we've also found that since the early days, it's even recorded in the scriptures, that following Jesus can be quite challenging. And there's a story in Acts chapter 24 uh, and I'm going to read just two verses, verses 22 and verses 25. There's this guy called Felix who was a governor. He was a, a leader. And it, it says this, Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, that's what Christianity used to be called, the way, before it got the title Christianity. So he was well acquainted with this. He knew, he had heard of Jesus. He knew something of the principles and the values. He knew about this way. And it goes on in verse 25. And as Paul talked to him about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid, and he said, no, no, that's enough for now. Please leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you again. And so it has been common within our humanity and within our distorted humanity and our broken humanity and that which is uh, kind of where sin has helped define who we are, 
since the days of Felix, many of our words would also look like this. Like, hey, actually, following Jesus is hard. It's not convenient right now. Please go away. And maybe when I'm more ready for it, I'll invite you back and you can come and tell me about it. And so to echo the words of G.K. Chesterton again, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and therefore untried. Who will we follow this year? Paul is this man that has an encounter with Jesus and Jesus invites him to follow him and he makes a decision to do that and he radically changes his life and then he goes on to write uh, some letters to some communities of people and to some cities that he brought what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus to. And so he writes to the Colossian church and he writes to the Galatian church and at the essence of it is this message that he is carrying and I'm going to read it uh, to you. So in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 27, he says, Now I rejoice... And he goes on to say, what I'm suffering for you, he was in prison, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, he says, for the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles this gl the glorious riches of this mystery, which is what? This Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he has this same thing that obviously is burdening him and it's on his heart and it's part of the good news that he wants to bring to community. So he also writes to the church in Galatia and he says this, my dear children for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The goal of God's work in us is that Jesus would take residence in every part of us that there would be no little pockets of resistance anywhere here or here or here. No little pockets of resistance. The goal of God our Father is that Jesus would so permeate us that we would be formed in Him, Christ in us. And so I want to help us in 2023 as we uh, use the beginning of the year to mark uh, a, a time, a season where uh, we just naturally get to look at, okay, uh, maybe we're making some life goals, maybe we're making some New Year's resolutions, whatever it may be for you, just who are we going to choose to follow this year? And if it is to choose to follow Jesus, which is difficult, what are some things that we can do to help us on that journey? And I want to invite us into that and just share a couple of, a, a couple of pointers which may help us. Uh, there's a guy called John Eldridge who writes prolifically, and I was reading one of his books uh, on this time of sabbatical, and he says this, my goal is to be the most saved person, the most, uh, what did he say here? The most converted person my family and my friends know. My goal is to be the most converted person my family and my friends know. I am still being converted, and so my competitive spirit immediately comes up, and so I start to list my family and my friends. And um, as I was starting to process, am I the most converted person that my family and friends know? And I started with John Sillier's and at point number one, and I failed the test of being the most thoroughly converted person. And so I've got some work to do in 2023 uh, as we go, but I love that from John Eldridge. The goal of my life is to be the most converted person my family and friends know. St. Augustine 
says this. So this is a bit more ancient language. And it says this, I must empty myself of what I am full of in order that I may fill myself of what I am empty of. I must empty myself of what I am full of in order that I may fill myself of what I am empty of. And so three things that can maybe just help us in our decision-making, in the ordering of our lives as we choose who to follow, and if we choose to follow Jesus, what would be helpful. The first is this. Would we live 2023 with intention? Would we live with intention? There's a guy, Joshua Becker, who is a pastor of a church, and he, he writes about this thing of intentionality, and he says this, would we live in such a way that there is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them? Again, Paul writes in the scriptures, we, we, we read this uh, the way that we read it in the Bible. It says this, I do the things, why do I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I do want to do? It's the same saying, it's the same thing, that so often because of our unintentional lives, because of we haven't taken the time necessarily to define even what our values are and therefore ruthlessly eliminate anything that's cutting in on those values, we find ourselves in a moment, in a situation, oh, I didn't mean, I wish I didn't talk to my kids like that, I've made a commitment not to do that and yet I have done that. Why? What's happened? Maybe I watched Netflix too late in the night and therefore in the morning lost my temper because I was too tired etc., etc., will we ruthlessly cut out that which cuts in on being a person of value, of holding values? Acts chapter 20, verses 22 says this, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to. That was Paul's story. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to. Acts has 28 chapters in it, but the life continues. The story of Acts is really just what the Spirit of God was doing amongst the people of God in those days. And so, in effect, chapter 29 is being written today, and chapter 30 is being written today, and chapter 31 is being written today. And so what would that say uh, about us? What could I write? Maybe chapter, uh, I don't know how many, 2,000 years have gone by. Maybe we're on chapter 2,000. Richard, compelled by the Spirit, did this. What would that be for you? What voices are we listening to? And so as we live this intentional life, uh, I want to just raise one issue on this or one, one point which may be helpful because God has designed humanity with the need for counsel. God created Adam and Eve and then he desired to talk with them. He wanted to show them the way of life, uh, but we, choo we chose not to. But humanity is designed to receive counsel. And so whether you are intentional about it or unintentional about it, you are being counseled. You are being counseled by the people you follow on social media. You are being counseled by the news feeds that you have uh, on your phone. You are being counseled by the books that you read. You are counseled by the magazines that you read. You are counseled by the friends that you keep. Everything is counseling you. And so we've got to make some sort of decisions intentionally around who will we allow to counsel us. I love the story in the Old Testament of David, the king of Israel, he was referred to as a man after God's own heart, and it came to the end of his days, and he passes on some, uh, some wisdom to his son. These are his last words, and it's recorded and, uh, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. And he, he basically says four things as his last counsel to his son. 
And he says this to Solomon, serve God with a whole heart and with a willing mind. And so David's effectively saying, in all the things that you have access to, give your heart to the Lord, it will shape everything you do. He says this, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And so what David is saying to his son is, remember, you cannot deceive the Lord. He says this, if you seek him, he will be found by you. The Lord is gracious and tender-hearted and loving and kind, and he never hides from those who seek him. And he says this, be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. And so his parting words are, don't let anything keep you from doing what God has put in you to do. Sounds very similar to the more modern words of, uh, of Joshua Becker, of just being able to cut out anything that cuts against or distracts from our values. It's amazing, during the sabbatical, we had the privilege of going away, and I made a decision to cut off, to delete all the apps off my phone, off social media, delete all the news apps, delete my mail, uh, just to delete all of that. I had no contact with the outside world. And for the first week, there was... I didn't quite know what to do with my time. You realize how much time you spend on it. And then I started to just have much more clear thinking as I was able to silence the voices of the thousands that are trying to counsel me. And I had the counsel of two. I had the counsel of my wife and I had the counsel of the Holy Spirit. And I could suddenly see things with greater perspective and clarity. I could see my own self with greater clarity and perspective. I could see my family with greater clarity and perspective. It was delightful. I've got back into uh, the work environment. Well, I'm getting back into the work environment, and I'm determined to not put my mail app back onto the phone, not put social media back on. Maybe I can treat my smartphone as a dumb phone, and it can do what it was designed to do, which is make phone calls. <laughs> but I'm so grateful that there is the clarity of the voice of heaven. But what about Jesus, the one who came, the way, the truth, and the life, the one that came to be our model? How did he live in terms of intentionally and, lift, and listening, uh, and, and what voices did he listen to? And there's this great story in John chapter 5, verses 16 to 20, and I'm not going to read the text, but you can take notes if you, or you, you can just reference that if you are taking notes. But there's this moment where Jesus is with uh, the, the leaders of the, the synagogue, the leaders of the people, uh, the religious leaders. And there's, Jesus is doing something, and they say, you can't do that. And there's this interaction that takes place. And Jesus says this. He says, effectively, I'm not listening to you guys. I'm not going to take your counsel. I only listen to my Father in heaven and do what he says. And so even as we choose to see what it is to be fully human, and we model after ourselves after Jesus, our great model, we see that even Jesus restricted his counsel. Even Jesus chose wisely as to who he was going to listen to. And so the encouragement is that we would do the same as we enter into this year. The second thing is, could we contend for simplicity? There was a 19th century philosopher, Henry Thoreau. He's not a Christian, doesn't follow Jesus. as uh, a secular philosopher. But he, he got to a point in his life where he felt like this, this can't be all that life is. And so he decided to do a multi-year experiment. He took himself off into the woods and he disconnected from all of life for 18 months. And he came back and he wrote what pretty much shaped uh, Western philosophy uh, 
uh, on the doctrine of uh, simplicity. And this is the words that he writes at the end of his 18-month experiment. He says this, Simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. I say, let your affairs be as two or three, and not a hundred or a thousand. Why should we live with such hurry and waste of life? That is so counter what the world throws at us, so counter what the counsel of this world is. Brene Brown, she's a, a sociological researcher today, of today, and she says that they've defined the culture of today as one of deep scarcity, which effectively says that, says this, rocking up every day to wherever you may be, being a person of love and loving those around you, and being present is now a meaningless life. That is what a culture of scarcity says. Unless you are changing the world, your life is not counting. So I have this culture, these voices, the Instagram feeds, the, the Snapchat conversations. The, we have all of this being thrown at us, and then we have Jesus, the model. And I look at Jesus' life, and I see this. He didn't start an organization. He didn't build a building. When the stage beckoned, when people were calling him to come, people want to be with you, he hid himself away. He went away. He told his followers that he had nowhere to lay his head down. It appears as though Jesus was quite happy not making a name for himself. He was not trying to portray a life like those around him. And so this year, as we again put on the kind of at the forefront of our minds, what we're going to do, how are we going to follow this Jesus? May I say, let's contend for simplicity together. Let's make our affairs as two or three, not as hundreds or thousands, and hurry through life. Let us be present. Contending for simplicity, again, just using a bit of a story um, of our uh, sabbatical, uh, we had the privilege of going from middle of Mozambique all the way down to Cape Town uh, along the coast. We covered 7,500 kilometers of driving, and we just got to visit all these amazing places. And, and one of the places, we had been offered a home in Imgazana in the Transkei. And, uh, and all we had, so there's no road names, there's no, we just literally had a pin, like this is your house, this is where you're staying. And uh, as we drove up and we arrived, we kept looking and going, I think we've missed it. I think we've missed it. Uh, for those that don't know, we have seven children, and so we are a family of nine. At this point in time of our trip, uh, there were just eight of us, uh, just eight of us. Um, and we've been kindly offered this accommodation, and we arrived, and it had two rooms. Like two rooms. Not just two bedrooms, two rooms. And our first, my immediate response was, <laughs> oh, shucks. We're now here for quite a few days. Our family's going to be on top of each other. Uh, it was unusual circumstance to us. I'm so conscious that for the vast majority of South Africa, uh, that would be an incredible privilege. Um, I'm conscious of that, so I'm telling the story in the context of what we have become accustomed to. And so what started off as a, wow, I don't know how we're going to do this, ended off as being one of the biggest gifts from God to us. To top it all off, it rained quite a lot. 
And so the family had to sit inside. Um, but it was beautiful. We learned that we were richer than we had ever dreamed of. We were reminded that having family, having conversation, having God, having beauty, having all of that counts far more. God taught us that the simple life again is actually more glorious. That when we don't have the affairs of a hundred and a thousand things to attend to, you can be more present, you can be more loving, you can be more engaged. Simplicity frees us to focus on what matters most. So would we this year contend for simplicity? Would we contend for simplicity together? And third, would we embrace our limitation? Walter Brueggemann is a highly respected theologian and Bible interpreter, and he says this, multitasking is the drive to be more than we are, to control more than we do, to extend our power and our effectiveness. Such practice yields a divided self with full attention given to nothing. Could we embrace our limitation? There's this moment, or there's many moments where Jesus faces um, a, a situation of weakness and rejection, and he has a decision that he can make. He can, he can uh, come in to dominate the situation, or he can embrace the weakness of his humanity. And every time, he embraces the weakness of his humanity. And so even with Jesus as our model, it is so against the culture and the counsel of the world today of get in there, get on top of what you're doing, dominate the situation, get in what you need to do. Jesus does the complete opposite. He embraces his weakness. He embraces his weakness. And in that, we are more fully human. We are more fully alive. We follow better. See, the world hasn't changed. Well, it has changed, but it's hardly changed over the last five years. If anything, it's got a little bit worse. But we've had the privilege, Jackson and I, of being able to pause and reflect on the people that we were becoming, on the trajectory we were coming on, and if there was anything that we needed to change. And it's, so, it's such a privilege to be able to stop and reflect and then be able to set a course, be able to look out to the horizon and say, that's the person I want to become. And therefore, this is what needs to happen. There has to be a life of intention. There has to be a contention for simplicity. And there has to be an embracing of our limitations in order that we may truly follow Jesus, in order that Christ may be formed in us the hope of glory. No pockets of resistance. No trying to dominate. No trying to think that we can do more than what we're capable of doing. No thinking that we can change the world. Driving through South Africa or driving down the coast of South Africa, we were reminded again of just how big this country is and how many communities of people there are that will never ever know my name or your name. Can we learn to be content with our limitation, to embrace our limitations, that we can change our worlds, but we cannot change the world? And will we embrace that and take hold of it? And so the question, one of the questions I want to ask you this evening is when you look out at the horizon and the person that you are becoming, do you like that? Do you like the person you are becoming? If you carry on on the trajectory that you are on, do you like the person you are becoming? Jesus invites us, friends, to be more fully human. 
Paul goes on uh, and he writes to the Thessalonian church and he says it to this, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I want to tell you that on, on whatever scale, any, any, whatever personality scale you use, I am that guy that that scripture I don't like. It is not my ambition. It has not been my ambition to lead a quiet life. I'm loud. I like to dominate situations. I like to, my presence to be known. I like to build things. That is not a scripture that fits with me. But over the last few years, and particularly in the last three months, I'm very grateful for what the Spirit of God has done in me. That actually this is becoming one of my greatest goals and ambitions to lead a quiet life. When the stage beckons that I would hide away, not take it with both hands, that I would live a little bit more like Jesus formed in me. See, in every season of life, there are questions that we have to ask of ourselves and how we answer them determines what that becomes. So for Jackson and me, we're in midlife We've all heard of midlife crisis. Uh, people don't start in midlife crisis just because they hit midlife. It's because they don't, have, uh, they don't have good answers to the questions of midlife. And so Jackson and I have had the privilege of being able to go away and answer the questions of midlife, which has determined whether we go into crisis or whether we go into flourishing. And I'm grateful to say I think that we're on a path towards flourishing, not towards crisis. Uh, who wants to keep lurching from crisis to crisis? Jesus offers us a different way when he says, follow me. And again, in the words of G.K. Chesterton, it's not that it has been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and therefore untried. Would we follow Jesus this year? So as I just close out and remind us, Colossians chapter 1, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Galatians 4.19, that that he would, that my dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Christ in you is the goal of our Father. Would we do that? And so would we live with intention? What does that mean? Would we intentionally promote the things we most value and remove everything that distracts us from them? Would we contend for simplicity? Would we manage our affairs and then using the words of Thoreau as two or three and not a hundred or a thousand. Why should we live with such hurry and waste of life? And thirdly, would we embrace our limitation? Would we commit to reducing our multitasking? Our drive to be more than we are, to control more than we do, to extend our prayer and our, uh, uh, our power and our effectiveness. Such practice yields a divided self with full attention given to nothing. There is an invitation that Jesus gives every one of us, which is to follow him. And then in his uh, grand scheme of things, there is the church. And then there is the local church. And he gives pastors as a gift. And so there is an invitation that I extend. There's an invitation that Jesus extends. And there's an invitation that I extend to say, would we follow him? the one who is able to truly show us what it is to be fully human, the story that God has been trying to redeem ever since that day that our bearings got lost through the effect of sin. And then the distortion came in and the brokenness came in. There is a way that we can live fully human in perfect relationship with our Father and in perfect relationship with one another. But it means Christ formed in us.